0: Hello, and welcome to Linux Action News, episode 131, recorded on November 10th, 2019. I'm Joe. And I'm Wes. Hello, Wes. Thank you very much for stepping in while the boss is away. Thanks for having me. Google have been up to quite a lot this week, so let's start with them giving quite a few Chromebooks a fair bit of extra support.
1: It's definitely good news, but a bit of a mixed bag, depending on what particular model you happen to have. Most models received another year of support, but others got... Only another six months, and some lucky ones received two more years. There were some models that had already been abandoned, which have been
0: resurrected. Unfortunately, not my C720, which remains abandoned and so will live on with Gallium OS.
1: Right. That kind of highlights why this matters, Joe. Chromebooks, unlike perhaps other devices that you may be familiar with, have a strange fixed life cycle, right? I mean, Google. After they've certified a new platform for Chromebooks, they set an end date, and that's when your security updates are no more. Well,
0: it's a little bit like smartphone-style updates, that you get that fixed window that is generally much shorter than, say, a Windows or Mac device. And I think that's the crux of this here. They're really looking to push further into the enterprise and education markets, and those markets won't stomach these short support cycles
1: Right. You've got to include whatever refresh rate they've got internally for the hardware. Otherwise, they probably won't choose your platform.
0: And you would imagine that's the kind of feedback their sales reps would have been getting. And so this is the result of that.
1: Probably matters, too, if you've bought one of the more high-end Chromebooks. I mean, Chrome OS has gained a lot of features. It's now very usable as a sort of high-end workstation. And while you might be okay with your, you know, budget model expiring after four years, I'd like longer life and a significant investment. Yeah, they have been adding a
0: lot of features, and this week they announced a couple more. The big one for me is virtual desktops that they're calling virtual desks, something we've had for a long time in Linux, but something that Chrome OS has really lacked.
1: Yeah, Linux uh, has had this feature for quite a long time, but we've seen most other major operating systems playing catch-up, so it's nice to see Chrome OS join the club. All you have to do is open the overview and tap New Desk in the top right-hand corner, so it's a fairly accessible feature, and it works just as you might expect. I'm also very pleased to see they've added some keyboard shortcuts if uh, you're not a big fan of the mouse.
0: They've also added a bit of a convergence feature where you can now make phone calls on your Android phone originating with phone numbers on the Chrome OS device.
1: Makes me think of some of the slick integrations on... That other platform we won't name.
0: (laughs) Yeah, they've also added some improvements to printing. Now, I've never tried to do that on a Chromebook before, but I've heard that it wasn't the easiest.
1: As someone who tries to avoid printing whenever possible, anything that makes it easier is very much welcome. They say that compatible printers will just automatically show up, no setup needed, although I'm not quite sure where that list of compatible printers is.
0: Yeah, they call it print without hassle. That just doesn't exist in my mind. uh, (laughs) No. Yeah, I believe it when I say it. But on the mobile side of things, Google have seemingly put their hands up to the fact that Android has a bit of a malware problem.
1: Yeah, this week they've announced a partnership with three antivirus firms, ESET, Lookout, and Zimperium, to create what they're calling the App Defense Alliance. Now, they already have
0: a thing called Play Protect, which is something of a black box to me. I don't know exactly how it works. I don't think anyone does, really, apart from Google.
1: You just got to wave your hands and say,
0: machine learning. Yeah, machine learning. But that is obviously not enough because I keep reading almost on a weekly basis about an app that was downloaded 25,000 times, 100,000 times that was some sort of malware. And so these three companies all have competing products for Android security. And all three of them have a different approach. And so it's kind of typical Google, isn't it? Instead of just having one solution, let's have three competing solutions and somehow that will work well.
1: That does sound like Google. Although some diversity can go a long way. You're right, all of these companies already do this sort of scanning, but before this agreement, they were doing it after the fact, right? They were trying to identify malware out in the wild. With this partnership, before apps actually get to the Play Store, they'll have to go through all four different protection engines.
0: So in theory, this will stop the malware before it even gets into the Play Store. But it's funny that the VP of Android Security and Privacy, Dave Kleidemacher, said, when you're at the massive scale we have in these platforms, when you can even get 1% incremental improvement, it matters. So they're not necessarily looking to catch all the malware, but even a 1% improvement would be massive for them.
1: With 2.5 billion Android devices out there, they do have a point.
0: Yeah, and Tony Anscombe from ESET said that they're likely to be scanning many thousands of apps per day. So it really does go to show the scale of the whole Android ecosystem.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of investment here, and they started working on this two years ago. We
0: don't know anything about the finances of this. Presumably, the companies are making a fair bit, but they're also getting access to a lot of data, which is always valuable.
1: Right, the more apps they scan, the better they can improve their own databases, which makes their products better too. And hopefully, makes the Play Store a bit better at the same time.
0: Hopefully, but realistically, this is an arms race. And okay, this is really stepping up Google's side of that arms race, but people will always find new ways to sneak crafty malware into the play store
1: yeah there's no getting around that even if it is a semi-curated environment think twice before installing just any app
0: yeah good advice and think twice before getting into vr i would say as we had a bit more evidence this week that vr is not really panning out to be the success a lot of people hoped it would be
1: oh joe you must be talking about the open sourcing of Google's cardboard VR headset, which I'll note comes just a month after they dropped Daydream.
0: Yeah, Daydream was their quite fancy VR headset, which is not supported by the new Pixel 4 phones. And now they're open sourcing cardboard, the libraries and SDK for that. And it feels to me that although they say they're going to continue to contribute to it, or they may continue to contribute to it, realistically, This is one of those cases where things are sort of put out to pasture by being open sourced. And realistically, I can't see many people wanting to necessarily work on it because it's almost an admission that it's just a dead platform at this stage.
1: That's one way to look at it, certainly. I am pleased that at least some remnants will remain, even if they never invest again, right? We've got the the bones of the project here, open source, and perhaps some artists or enthusiasts, people just looking to play around can make use of that. And I I think having it open source is just better than having it die closed. Oh, definitely, yeah. I I
0: wish more people would do that.
1: You are right. It seems like maybe it was time for cardboard to die. You know, it was launched five years ago, and while VR has certainly not taken off as uh, many may have thought it might, Cardboard was very early in this whole timeline and presented a device that you could play around with, try to get an idea at the base stages of what might work in the VR world. These days, the prices come down on much better VR tech, and I think there's just less reason for cardboard to exist. Yeah, but that
0: said, we still don't have a truly wireless and truly portable VR solution. Whereas we all have these phones in our pockets with relatively high resolution displays that are totally wireless and can just slide into this cheap like $20 or less cardboard headset. And you can have very, very cheap VR. It might not be the best, but I've played with it and it was pretty fun. It's a novelty. It's not something I'm going to do all the time. But I think there is still a huge gap between cardboard and even the cheapest proper VR solutions.
1: Yeah, you're right. It had a unique place in the market, and I played with it a bit too. I've even got one of those uh, plastic uh, headset models you can find on eBay or Amazon. And it's not amazing, but it was fun to play with. I hope we'll see more releases from Google. They mention perhaps a Unity SDK package in the future. And really the only thing that will continue to make Cardboard relevant is the community wanting to use it. Yeah, well, we can hope. And
0: like you said, it's much better that they abandon it by open sourcing it than not. And with the Apache 2 license that it's under, it could potentially live on as some commercial products, although they are going to be quite restrictive about the Google Cardboard trademark. Um, You have to be a bit careful with that you can use the term Google Cardboard, but not implying that it's official. But I think that's fairly standard for this sort of thing. Well, something that hasn't been abandoned is Ubuntu 14.04. It ran out of support in April, but thanks to Canonical's ESM program, which is extended security maintenance, you can get support for it up to 2022. Up to now, you've had to pay for that. But this week, Canonical announced that
1: you can now get free access to that for up to three machines. Or up to 50 machines if you're an official Ubuntu member. With that, you're going to get fixes for high and critical severity CVEs for the most commonly used server packages, and you'll have access to Canonical's live patch technology, which permits users to apply critical kernel patches without rebooting.
0: And they've got a new client for this, which is just called UA for Ubuntu Advantage, And so I tried this out. I installed 14.04. Something tells me you already had an installation lying around, Joe. I haven't, actually. I recently updated one to 16.04, but I'm not telling you where that is. Uh, (laughs) But uh, I installed a fresh 14.04.6 and fully updated it, rebooted, checked for updates again. It said there weren't any, but if you're part of this Ubuntu Advantage, you can get them. And so I signed up for that and put in my key, which was really easy. And then suddenly I had a bunch more updates and I was completely up to date.
1: It does seem like they put in a lot of work to make this fairly seamless. Yeah, definitely.
0: It was really, really easy to do it. The only thing is I wasn't sure how I could get rid of that machine, how I could kind of uncouple it from my account. Because having kind of deleted that VM does that mean that it's there forever and I've kind of wasted one of my lives, as it were? I I don't know. The documentation wasn't that clear on that.
1: Yeah, this is an area of Ubuntu I'm not too familiar with because unless you need these updates or already have a support relationship with Canonical, you just didn't have access to it before.
0: Yeah, we generally talk about the kind of new and shiny stuff, but I think the reality is that there is a lot of infrastructure out there that is running on old versions of Ubuntu and old versions of various other distros as well. And it's this extra long-term support that makes you a proper enterprise company. And that's why Canonical started offering the, the paid tiers for this, I think, is part of their plan to IPO. And I think that what we've got here is them giving people a free taste of it to kind of hook them in and realize, hmm, actually, this is good that we can rely on Ubuntu being updated for a seriously long time. It's not clear whether 16.04 and 18.04 are going to get this free ESM arrangement. So we'll have to wait and see on that one.
1: Nevertheless, it does seem like a Goodwill and good PR move. I imagine, from the perspective of a small business or perhaps a nonprofit who's still got a 1404 machine running somewhere, depending on it, this makes you pretty happy. Well, there have been some significant changes since 1404 came out. That was still using Upstart, no System D back then. It really is a new era. And even with this support, I think these organizations will still have to confront an update sometime.
0: Well, twenty twenty two, so you know, a couple of years to get yourself sorted and get onto sixteen oh four and then face the same problem in another couple of years.
1: Yeah, there's no escaping updates.
0: Well, from the old to the very new, something that created a lot of buzz this week. Something that's really cool. Splitter. This is from the French music streaming service Deezer, and it takes a music track and separates it into its constituent parts, for the most part, actually very well.
1: Yeah, sounds like we both had a chance to give it a shot. It's really easy to get running. It's a Python application using TensorFlow, and then they have access to some private data sets that they've used to train all these models. So the tool basically downloads the model and runs it against whatever input file you've got, which could be a wave or a FLAC or MP3. Yeah,
0: they've got access to tons of data for this because, well, they're a music streaming service. And that made me wonder, does this only work with commercial music that they had trained the engine on. And the reality is no. I tried some of my own tracks and some more obscure stuff, and it really does work. I mean, the asterisk here is it's not studio-quality drums, studio-quality guitar, studio-quality vocals, but I
1: think it's good enough to do a remix or something. Right. It seemed particularly effective at pulling the the drum lines out. And while the vocals were at times a bit eerie, which makes sense considering how well optimized our own brains are at detecting human vocals. As a tool to pull the vocals out of a file, some things I tried worked surprisingly well.
0: Well, I'm not sure about it being really easy to get going. It took me probably about 10 or 15 minutes of messing around to get Conda to work, something that I'd not used before. It's not just a case of clone the Git repository and run a binary or anything.
1: I will note, and maybe this would have helped you, there are Docker images available both for the CPU-optimized version and the GPU-optimized version, which is even faster.
0: Uh, Of course, that's the route you went down. You're all over Docker, so yeah, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, that would be very easy, but I wanted to do it the other way for some reason. I'm just awkward. You mentioned the GPU there with the right graphics card and the right drivers, you can get it to go a 100 times as fast as on the CPU. And the CPU was, for me, on a fairly old laptop, about real-time-ish. Yeah,
1: and even on the CPU, um, it really wasn't that slow. I ended up spending a couple hours and throwing 20 or so tracks at it, and I had a great time. So even if you're not going to use it to remix or as a sample somewhere... It's just a neat application of technology and somewhat unique in this space in being open source. There's a lot of commercial tools that can do some of these same things, but you don't often get access to how it works. Now, I
0: mostly tried it with the splitting it into five different stems, but you can just separate the backing track and the vocals or you can do a four-stem version. But I would highly recommend the five-stem because that gives you a piano, which more often than not is not a piano. It's just really cool, really eerie sounds that have come from all sorts of sources within the track.
1: Yeah, one angle on this tool I, I hadn't considered before is it's somewhat interesting just to try to analyze how these pieces are put together and what the model thinks they should be. Well, yeah, as
0: someone who at least used to mix quite a lot of music tracks, this could be really handy to assess your mix and see how you've done it. It's not necessarily going to dictate the decisions that you make, but it is a a good extra data point with regards how you've separated the various frequencies within your mix.
1: Now, while most of us don't have access to the private data sets Deezer does, they include all the technology in the open source release to go train this model on your own data. And I wonder if we'll see any interesting results there too.
0: Yeah, I suspect that this is only going to get better as more people train it and contribute to the open source project. And it is great to see that we do have an open source implementation of this rather than it all being locked away. So yeah, I think this is definitely one to watch. Much like our last story is definitely one to watch. And that is uh, that Microsoft's Edge browser is going to be released for Linux. It's official. I know I'm looking forward to it, Where's are you?
1: Well, I'm looking forward to giving it a try anyway. I don't think it's going to replace my main browser, but it seems like Microsoft is genuinely interested in making this a good experience for all platforms. Yeah, and this was announced in your neck of the woods, wasn't
0: it, at their Ignite conference in Seattle?
1: Yeah, although unfortunately I wasn't there to catch it in person, there is a video available if you're curious. It's also not as surprising as it may seem because the new Microsoft Edge is powered by Chromium under the hood.
0: Yeah, it's using the Blink engine, so it's not a huge stretch to get it onto Linux, you wouldn't have thought. But in that video, they uh, announce it and kind of were expecting a a reaction that they didn't quite get, which uh, is quite funny. But, you know, I could see this, being relatively successful. And a lot of people would scoff at that. And just the idea of Edge coming to Linux seems to be funny to most people. But when you really think about it, yes, we've got Firefox and Chromium, but sometimes you need to use Chrome for things. Source Connect, which we sometimes use, for example. Now, if that worked in Edge, it would make me stop and think, whose proprietary browser would I prefer to use? Evil Company A, Google or evil company B, Microsoft. Honestly, I don't know.
1: There's not much in it, really. Yeah, you know, at that level, it's probably worth just giving it a shot. I was able to test it out under Wine, which worked surprisingly well. And I mean, it was a it was a fine browsing experience. In particular, I noticed they had really easy access to get a voice narration of the page, and it was surprisingly decent. All oh, right, that's a nice accessibility feature. How did it compare to Chrome then? It felt like a um, slightly lighter, more optimized version of Chrome with a little bit of the Microsoft Windows aesthetic put on top.
0: Hmm, Now I am curious. Um, I will have to try this once it comes out. We don't really have any further details on when that's going to be, but yeah, I'll give it a go. It'd be interesting if you could try Source Connect in there and some other web apps that seemingly require Chrome
1: and, and see if Microsoft have managed to crack that aspect of it now you're thinking it's also already available to try on mac or windows or ios or android basically everywhere but linux
0: but realistically i'm staring at these show notes in firefox and i think i will be for quite some time to come same here well we'll follow the progress of edge on linux along with all the other stories in the open source world so go to linuxactionnews.com slash subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes
1: and linuxactionnews.com slash contact for ways to get in touch.
0: We'll be back next Monday with our weekly take on the latest Linux and open source news. I'm at West Payne. And I'm at JarWrissington. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week.